Hello friends, welcome to Beyond the News. It's Friday the 17th of September 2021. Coming up on today's show, our guest will be Sally Beck, a mainstream media journalist with over 30 years experience. You can listen to her CV later on when I bring her on for the second part of the show. And the first half is going to be covering news. A lot from Listener's Corner this week. I've been sent quite a lot uh, to catch up on because I've been doing various guests and things over the last few weeks. So there's some good articles that I've been sent that I haven't covered. I'll get through them today. Also looking at more of the news about the children's and what they can and cannot do and medications they can and cannot take and vaccinations and that kind of thing a few articles about that and some light-hearted stuff about getting um having beers before work and getting winning a court case when you get fired for it and that kind of stuff so let's get on with our first article here i think this is a, an important one from the guardian and this is from friday the 10th of september this is pretty much exactly what the doctor I had um, the pl- the clip I played from the Julia Hartley Brewer show on where the NHS doctor said that there was probably more potential harm from a teenage uh, boy taking a vaccine than from COVID. Well, um, a week later, it seems on Friday, the 10th of September, that seems to be the case. An article from The Guardian headline would suggest Ian Sample, science editor, Boys more at risk from Pfizer jab side effect than COVID suggests study. US researchers say teenagers are more likely to get vaccine-related myocarditis than end up in hospital with COVID. Healthy boys may be more likely to be admitted into hospital with a rare side effect of the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID vaccine that causes inflammation of the heart than the COVID itself, US researchers claim. Their analysis of medical data suggests that boys aged 12 to 15 with no underlying medical conditions are four to six times more likely to be diagnosed with vaccine-related myocarditis than ending up in hospital with COVID over a four-month period. Most children who experienced the rare side effect had symptoms within days of the second shot of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, although a similar side effect is seen with the Moderna jab as well. About 86% of the boys affected required some hospital care, the authors said. Yes, uh, well, heart problems can tend to be a bit serious. It's not an ingrown toenail, is it? Sal Forst, Professor of Paediatric Immunology and Infectious Diseases at the University of Southampton, who was not involved in the work, said the findings appeared to justify the cautious approach taken on teenage vaccines by the UK's Joint Committee on Vaccines and Immunisation. The JCVI did not recommend vaccinating healthy 12 to 15 year olds, but referred the matter to the UK's chief medical officers, who are expected to make a final decision next week. So this is the 10th of September. And we'll keep you abreast of that decision. And that's the decision there. The JCVI is something that Sally and I talk about later on in the show as well. Our next one here tonight. Children under 16 can take life-changing puberty blockers without their parents' consent. Rules Court of Appeal as it overturns landmark verdict against Tavistock Gender Clinic. The Tavistock and Portman NHS Foundation Trust won a bid to overturn a ruling. It ruled it was unlikely a 13-year-old could consent to puberty-blocking drugs, but the NHS Trust brought an appeal against last year's High Court ruling in June. Now Court of Appeal said it was appropriate for High Court to give guidance. 
Children under 16 can now take puberty blockers without their parents' consent as the Court of Appeal overturned landmark rule against the NHS gender clinic in an historic ruling last December. So that more or less explains it there. That's by Kate Dennett and that's from today, the 17th of September. I'll just give you my opinion. Uh, I, I've got nothing against uh, any sort of uh, person. If someone wants to change their gender, fair enough. I just think it's a good idea to not do anything permanent before you're 18 and when I say that uh, I mean that in sort of all walks of life really be that uh, a tattoo or, uh, or or have a child or um, uh, you know sign up to the army uh, in a contract you can't get out of very easily um, that kind of stuff yeah I would I would say and that's why they have the police expunging the records don't they from juvenile and that kind of stuff because i think that it sort of takes into account that what whatever gender you are there's a certain rite of passage to manhood womanhood or um, non-binaryhood or whatever it is that you are and that often involves some experimentation so things change people can change hormones can change emotions can change life changes so don't do anything uh, i think it's, it's a good idea to not do anything permanent before then so that's just that issue there. And then whatever people want to do when they're an adult is their own business, isn't it? It's not, not certainly none of mine. And as regards the other thing of the parents, I just want a bit of um, good for the goose, good for the gander kind of thing. You know, like it, the, the government seems to say, oh, children can give their consent when it's something, you know, if you were to say if you were to say that the world is following a kind of like a not now I'll, I'll just i'll just leave it there but i would like to see that you know children's can't give their consent for basically i was with the original sort of uh the original high court um, if children can't give their consent for other things under 16, why should they be able to give their consent for this? I just wanted a bit of consistency. Uh, that's all. And then, um, yeah, when someone's 18, do whatever you want. Uh, God bless. It's absolutely uh, none of my business. And I have uh, nothing against any walk of life. This podcast is for uh, it's, it's a political atheist. I'm not right wing, left wing. It's people of all religions, races, colour, creeds, sexual orientations and whatever they identify is. Uh, if you want uh, freedom and you don't really like having your rights taken away, and you, you just want to know more about the story than the television gives you the headlines for, this is the podcast for you. Moving on from the Daily Mail. Ministers scrap travel traffic light system in favour of a go-no-go -no -go scheme with a single red list of banned nations and drop pre-departure tests for fully vaccinated and give green light to trips to eight more countries, including Turkey and the Maldives. Ministers today unveiled major changes to the government's international traffic, uh, travel traffic light rule system. Uh, the shake-up will see the current green and amber list merge into one list of low-risk nations for holidays. The double-jabbed will no longer have to take costly PCR tests when they return to England from abroad. So it's, uh, you know, uh, well, not vaccine passports, but, uh, well, you get through cheaper if you have. Uh, the it's all towards that scheme, isn't it? There was an article earlier in the week that said vac the government scraps vaccine passport schemes. 
we'll see if that's true or we'll see if that's a psychological tactic where it's all oh, there's a lot of resistance building tell them that we're not going to do it and then rush it through at the last minute uh, maybe under the guise of something else in the small print of something else or just bring it in step by step over the next year incrementally and say we haven't done it we you know if you say it as introducing vaccine passports as 100% we haven't done it oh, well we've done 98 but we didn't actually do it if you're talking about 100 so we'll see if they'll go down those two roads of um, the old what Mars attacks thing we are your friends as you shoot them in the face we are your friends so we'll do that we're you know we're not going to introduce vaccine passports while they're planning to do it all the time and then they rush it in at the last minute or perhaps put it through an emergency or small print it through or something like that or whether they do it through stealth or whether they have genuinely backed down we shall see so uh, Scotland will not remove pre-departure tests for fully vaccinated people returning from red list countries uh, and this is by a whole host of people for the Mail Online and that's out today uh, one, two, three, four about five different people contributed to this one so ministers today announced that they are replacing the current international traffic light system scheme. Transport Secretary Grant Shapp said that from October the 4th, the current approach of green, amber and red will be ditched in favour of a single red list and the rest of the world category for everywhere else. And again, if you want to read more details into that, you can see the articles for yourself. They're in the comment section of uh, Beyond the News on the podcast or they're just scroll through for the week's news on the Facebook page. Or they're in the comments section of the Spotify, uh, or at least on the Anchor section of it. I don't know whether the comments come through on the Spotify, but I upload it to Anchor, which then uploads it to Spotify and on Anchor, I I put it on there. So anti-vaxxer Welsh eco-resort that banned guests with two Covid jabs says it is fully booked for weeks after outpouring of support from like-minded souls. I'm not even going to try and announce the Welsh name. Uh, Blaine, that one, eco-retreat in Powell's, Wales, only welcomes unvaccinated guests. Owner Sharon Girabedi branded the coronavirus vaccines as experimental. The business has revealed a huge outpouring of uh, support for its anti-vax stance. This is today by Danielle Hussein, the owner of a... So yeah, they're doing very well. uh, And she branded the experimental vaccine said that a duty of care to her family guests is the reason for the ban. So I imagine she's concerned about all the shedding potentials and that kind of stuff. And they've said, you know what, if the government haven't tested to see if this stuff sheds, we're going to, you know, not let people in that has it. Well, it's the free market, isn't it? There's going to be plenty of people for places of people that double jabbed. And this place uh, is for the unjabbed. My quick view on that as a libertarian, it's her business so she can run it how she likes and in return people can feel um, to, to put their money their way there or not. So she should be able to run her business how she likes. Um, there are, of course, limits to that. So um, where you've got like what I call, you know, racism, where it's, you know, absolutely blatant. So it's like, you know, no whatever's on the door or anything like that then that's where you uh, you draw the line but um, if you're going to have places that people can only get in with a vaccine then there should be places where people can only get in without one however that should never ever apply to the state so let's say she ran she let's say this woman was a gp which she isn't let, but let's say she was a gp and she ran uh, a gp surgery she should not be allowed to say no 
uh, vaccinated people in there because she's running an NHS public surgery. Just as the doctor shouldn't be able to say no unvaccinated people in there because, you know, it's an NHS, you pay through it for your taxation. And when you pay through the taxation, it's not in the contract that you have to have a vaccine to use it. So um, that's where I'm at. So businesses should be able to run it how they like. And if people have got a problem with it, they should be able to slag them off or support them, let the free market decide. But state run things must be open to all. That's, you know, pretty much where I stand on rights issues and things like that. But good to see that she's busy, eh? On from the Daily Mail now, and it's good to see that there's options, you know, even if I'm obviously not going to get the vaccine, but I would have nothing against uh, a hotel saying we're for vaccinated people only. Uh, of course, I would make certain I would never want to do any business and do as much as I can to steer business away from them. But uh, it, legally, obviously, you know, I'm not going to be sitting there with a box of matches or something, but <laughs> but you know what I mean. <clears throat> Let the free market decide. The idea that there has to be this one there has to be just this one concept and we all have to agree with it. I don't agree with that. <laughs> we should all have our, be able to have our opinions and our own little places to go and our own little businesses and our own little cultures and all that kind of stuff. Uh, just so long as it's like, you know, no... You, well, you know the signs that they had in the, the 40s and the 50s and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that's unacceptable. But other than that, let the free market decide and we don't all have to agree. It's, uh, you know... Fascism wins if there's everyone's the same, isn't there? You know, the ultimate enemy of fascism is diversity. So let's have different diversity ideas and cultures and ways of running businesses and stuff that obviously stay within the certain parameters I mentioned earlier. So next one here is from the Evening Standard. Jabbed Ritz celebrators anti-vaxxers plan to boycott Morrison's after unvaccinated sick pay cuts. So, Double Jabbed Britons have celebrated Morrison's decision to cut sick pay for unvaccinated staff in a bid to encourage vaccine uptake. No, that's just wrong. Uh, the grocer said it plans to cut the amount paid to unvaccinated staff who had been told to self-isolate. The slash will not apply to those who have been given the chance to get two Covid jabs or those who have symptoms. Yeah, what unions, you know, there's going to be something in there. Uh, the move has resulted in many anti-vaxxers declaring that they will no longer shop at supermarket, sparking boycott Morrison's trending on social media. Yeah, you can count me in that. Um, and again, I'd be the same if it was the other way around as well. You know, I'm, a, I'm an equality for everybody kind of guy. Equality for everyone while respecting everyone is different. Different but equal. Next here, this is from The Express. Uh, and so, uh, a lot of these have been sent in from listeners as well, by the way. So a big thank you to them on our Telegram group, at Beyond the News Gym. I didn't add Jim in there for ego reasons. Uh, Beyond the News was already taken. <laughs> so COVID horror, as CT scan shows, swab test causes man's brain to leak for nine months. Uh, well, I can only assume he's now the Prime Minister of Britain. So, uh, a horror event saw a man's brain leak for nine months after taking a nasal swab test for COVID-19, according to experts who analysed a CT scan. This is by Callum Hoare, uh, Friday the 10th of September. Uh, the man from the Czech Republic received a COVID-19 nasal swab test in March 2020 after close contact with a confirmed case of coronavirus. But after receiving a negative result, he is said to have experienced a runny nose 
from just his right nostril. This rare symptom, which the patient mistakenly thought was due to allergies, lasted for nine months before he went to see a doctor in December of 2020. But a CT scan of his skull showed that the man had a rare brain injury, according to a new report published in the JAMA Atoll, there's a journal I can't pronounce, head and neck surgery. He was diagnosed with cerebral spinal fluid, CSF leak, a rare but serious condition in which the clear fluid that surrounds the brain and spinal cord leaks through a defect in the skull and cut through the nose. CSF, CSF leaks are dangerous because they can... Yeah, having someone's brain leak is dangerous. What are the odds? Uh, but because they can increase the risk of meningitis, which is an in infection of the membranes that surround the brain and spinal cord. Still, patients can have a CSF leak for years before they develop serious symptoms. Live science previously reported. Uh, so CSF leaks are typically seen after head injuries or brain surgery. The man had received a nasal COVID-19 test from a healthcare worker. Uh, this is when the sample is taken from deep inside the nose, where the nasal cavity meets the upper part of the throat, according to the Food and Drug Administration. Lovely. Well, at least he won't have to pay 150 quid for one if he's double jabbed, coming back from those Britain's lists on the new uh, traffic light scheme we just announced. So um, here we are. You've heard the other articles that I've read out and you've listened to the other things here here's a, something to just here it goes Boris Johnson prepares to overrule JCVI and offer vaccinations to all teenagers there you go he knows best better than all those scientists all the JCVI oh the JCVI I think that stands for uh, let me get the anyway, the JCVI includes something for like vaccination so these people like you know these aren't um, these aren't dishwasher busboys I'm, not, I'm not, not knocking anyone in those uh, jobs or anything like that I'm saying you know I, Boris Johnson who do you trust all this panel of experts or Boris Johnson do you know what uh, no you know what I think I think I know best uh, we're going to have to criticise that decision and argue with you Mr Johnson well I'm off to hide in a fridge then so yeah all teenagers could be cleared to receive vaccinations against coronavirus within days after ministers ordered a review that could override the government's immunization experts who have refused to recommend jabs for healthy 12 to 15 year olds there you go so we'll keep you uh, updated on that this is one day ago so this will be on the 16th covid19 france suspends 3,000 unvaccinated health workers so we covered this on the show before where it's like, go on, we really mean it, we really mean it this time. Well, they've gone and done it this time. Uh, this is from the BBC. So about 3,000 healthcare workers in France. It's pretty much self-explanatory there. Um, so a new rule which came to force on Wednesday made vaccination mandatory for the country's 2.7 million healthcare and fire service staff. So, um, yeah, so it suspends unvaccinated health workers. Is that 3,000 out of 2.7 million? Or is that uh, full price of all doctors, nurses, office staff and volunteers? Many are now agreeing to get jabbed because they see that the vaccination mandate is a reality. Uh, you know, Well, let's see how many of them stand up to it. The French are good at standing up for themselves. Let's see what they do here. And uh, if they do stand up for themselves and they do get genuinely... Um, dismissed then uh, let's go see and have a look at all the uh, healthcare and court rulings that follow that and of course if they lose that then uh, the government's oh, oh right we've lost 
oh dear, we have to pay out, do we? And when we say we, you, the public. <laughs> so it's um, so a win-win for the government, isn't it? Let's try it on, and if we succeed, we get our vaccine passport system. If we don't, all the legal bills get paid by the people that we're, <laughs> we're fighting against. Nice to, uh, nice to have that sort of hand. Also, let's see, I do hope the Fran French uh, healthcare system feels better treated by their politicians than the healthcare workers I treat uh, speak to in this country feel treated by Boris Johnson and his cohorts. And let's hope they uh, get those pay rises better than the, the ones over here in the NHS. I'm a big supporter of the NHS. They deserve more money and uh, to be treated better by the government. So I wonder if in Britain they, they tried this and they just said, you know what? Up yours. I've had it. You've whispered it. Go on, sodger. Anyway, we'll see. So we'll keep an eye on that for legal repercussions, fighting it in the high courts. And can the French healthcare system take 3,000 people just taking a hit of that and just going off on one day? We shall see. Time will tell. Next article makes reference to what I was saying a minute ago. This is from five days ago. England vaccine passport plans ditched. Sajid Javid says. This is by Marie Jackson for the BBC. Um, he told the BBC, we shouldn't be doing things for the sake of it. Yes, I agree with you. Let's see if your actions meet your words. And uh, that's not a criticism of him personally. I would say that exactly of uh, Boris Johnson's entire cabinet. Uh, it was thought the plan, which could come under criticism from venues and some MPs, would be introduced at the end of this month. Just a week ago, the vaccine minister had defended the scheme as the best way to keep the night industry open. Number 10 stressed the plan, which had been set to be introduced at the end of this month, would be kept in reserve, should it be needed over autumn or winter. Yeah, there you go. Oh, look, everyone's, uh, you know, well, yes, let, let me put it like this. Oh, look, things are really bad. So that passport system we said we did really didn't want, well, it's handy because we, uh, we've we planned for it as a contingency and now we can just bring it in overnight because things have just got really bad this last week. The cases have just shot up. We need it. We need it. Emergency, emergency. And uh, that would be much easier to achieve if you had a load of people um, with lower immune systems, wouldn't it? And what's uh, what some of those doctors been saying about those vaccines? Anyway, just a thought. Something a little bit more light-hearted now. Factory worker fired for drinking beer nine hours before shift wins five grand by Tom Williams, Wednesday the 15th of September. There you go. A factory worker was wrongly fired for drinking beer nine hours before her shift started. A tribunal was found. Um, she had three beers at 5am and still smelt of alcohol when she began her afternoon shift at Young Seaford Factory in Livingston later that day. Um, classy. <laughs> All right. So there you go. Uh, and that was... Uh, let's find out what country that was in. Miss Crollick had worked as a salmon processor at the Scottish factory. Scotland, of course it was. Right. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I've got listeners in Scotland. Wonderful country. I've been there. Uh, Grant is, of course, Scottish heritage as well. So just a little bit of lighthearted. It all can't all be doom and gloom all the time. So um, Manchester's plan to go it alone and build its first council home since the 1980s. The local authority has set up its own housing company with a view of building at least 500 new homes a year itself. So there we go. Local governments going against national governments and doing their own things for their own people. I, I like to see that. So good for them. 
Um, next article from The Guardian. Employers are spying on Americans at home with tattleware. It's time to track them instead. Jessa Crispin. Delivery drivers and warehouse workers are already monitored relentlessly. Now white-collar employees are getting taste of surveillance capitalism. This is by Thursday the 16th of September. Surveillance capitalism. <laughs> also known as George Orwell's 1984. The corporate hand-wringing started at almost the same time as the lockdown orders. But if all of our workers are at home, where we can't see them, how can we possibly know if they're actually working? Leave it to tech creeps to figure out a solution to reassure your boss miles away that you are indeed doing what you are being paid to do. Writing in The Guardian, Sandy Milne recently reported on the rise of bossware or tattleware, essentially spyware that enables managers to monitor their employees working from home. That includes a new program called Sneak, which uses your webcam to take a photo of you about once a minute and makes it available to your supervisor to prove that you are not away from your desk doing good God knows what. It's like school. Excuse me, sir, can I go to the toilet, please? Uh, this is this is uh, the future of uh, corporate uh, world if uh, we don't say no. So there you go. Now, I understand, you know, people want people to do a job when they get it there, but there's such a thing as going too far, is there not? Um, it's a level of invasion that would horrify even the NSA. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And um, this is money. Will vampire kangaroo suck the life out of southern water? Australian bank already uh, left Thameswater ten billion in debt after paying huge dividends. By James Salmon in Perth for the Daily Mail. So uh, households across the southeast may be a little nervous to learn that an Australian investment bank known as the Vampire Kangaroo has gained control of their water supply. Sydney-based Macari Group earned its colourful nickname after developing a reputation for buying companies, loading them with debt and sucking out as much money as possible. Last month, its asset management arm snapped up a majority stake in Southern Water from its parents, Greenslands Holdings, for more than £1 billion. Uh, to cut a long story short, um, Southern Water's got 40.7 million customers in Sussex, Kent, Hampshire and the Isle of Wight, freeing up to £2 billion to invest in fixing pipes, pumping stations and sewers. We shall see, won't we? We shall see what happens with that. Uh, that's I'm in Sussex. I know a lot of my listeners are in Sussex, so I thought I'd read that out for you. And um, our final bit of news here tonight, uh, we're taking a little trip down memory lane to the 28th of May 2006 from Sally Beck. This is Scientists Fear MMR Link to Autism. New American research shows that there could be a link between the controversial MMR triple vaccine and autism bowel disease in children. The study appears to confirm the findings of British doctor Andrew Wakefield who caused a storm in 1998 by suggesting a possible link. Now a team with the Wake Forest University School of Medicine in North Carolina are examining 275 children with regressive autism and bowel disease and of the 82 tested so far, 70 proved positive for the measles virus. Last night the team's leader Dr Stephen Walker said of the handful of results we have in so far, all are vaccination strain and none are wild measles. So a uh, little trip down memory lane but without any further ado, now let's go to the interview with the author of that article, Sally Beck. This was pre-recorded a few days ago on the Monday. And now we're joined on Beyond the News by Sally Beck. Sally is a mainstream media journalist, has written for pretty much every mainstream media publication that you can think of, apart from The Guardian, 
and she now regularly writes for The Mail and The Mirror. Sally, welcome. Thank you. What would you like to talk about today? It's, uh, we had a little chat beforehand. It's about vaccine damage is your speciality. I understand you've been writing about that for the last 23 years. You've had health pieces published for 20 years and you've been a mainstream media journalist for 30 years. Yes, that pretty much sums it up. Um, and I think what's interesting on the day that uh, Chris Whitty has approved the COVID vaccines for the 12 to 15 cohort, I opened my emails to a message or a press release from the Arrhythmia Alliance asking if schools had enough defibrillators. And as we know, um, the JCVI decided not to approve the COVID vaccine for that cohort because of the reports of myocarditis and pericarditis in the age group, or in, and particularly it's affecting young men. Um, so the other day, I think there was a story that 100, um, 100 under 40s in Ontario had been hospitalised with myocarditis or pericarditis or both. And that's that's the way we're moving forward now. Yes, um, I understand. It was a few days ago, wasn't it, that the uh, board in England, I'm just going to bring the article up, I believe I've covered it on the show, um, or if not, uh, I will be doing so. They've not recommended that they give the vaccine to the younger age group because they're concerned that the potential side effects and harm could outweigh any potential benefits. Um, it was all explained uh, on the Julia Hartley Brewer uh, podcast for me on talk radio a couple of weeks ago and I played a clip on this show where she said look quite simply a doctor NHS um, from the from the NHS said I don't think the benefits outweigh the risks and if I had kids in my school I wouldn't let them having it and I'd be taking it out of the school if they made it compulsory so um, yeah just to back up what you were saying there we're following the science, apparently, unless the science says something that Chris Whitty and his cohorts don't like. What do you think of that statement? Well, they're clearly not following the science, because if they were following the science, they would. <laughs> Chris Whitty and the three other um, uh, heads of medical departments would not have passed this for 12 to 15 year olds. They just wouldn't have done it because what we know about coronavirus is that it's a virus that affects the older generation far more than it affects the younger generation and in fact Paul Hunter, Professor Paul Hunter who's at the University of East Anglia told me in an interview that we're not coming to this cold it's not like we've never met a coronavirus before and he said that by the time we're about three and a half we've all come into contact with a coronavirus and here at Vandenbosch who worked for the Gates Foundation and various other big pharma outlets and also helped to develop the Ebola vaccine he said that we should let children develop natural immunity to this rather than vaccinating them because we don't want to interfere with their um, adaptive and innate immune systems at this stage. And he also says um, that vaccinating during, during a pandemic is a disaster, and I think that's what we're seeing. So um, 
Dr. Richard Fleming, I think it was, came out the other day saying that um, the Delta variant is, is basically caused by vaccination. So we've got all these people who really do have a lot of experience in the field between them and not forgetting Mike Eden, of course, from Pfizer, all saying, number one, we shouldn't be vaccinating in a pandemic anyway. And number two, we definitely should not be vaccinating children and young adults. Well, what I'm reading out the headline now from The Independent, Boris Johnson prepares to overrule JCVI and offer vaccinations to all teenagers. So he's following the science unless he doesn't like the science, in which case he just simply overrules it. It's interesting as well with masks. They always said, oh, wear your mask, it protects people. But we had the Danish study as well saying that um, it was only effective for about 15% of what people think it would. So we're told we're following the science unless it seems to involve taking away our individual rights or sort of doing stuff to our body, in which case the government says, well... We're not going to follow the science on that. We're just going to do what we were originally going to do, which is, you know, according to The Independent, it goes on to say government orders swift review that could see healthy 12 to 15 year olds clear to get the jab within days. So I was always taught with science, you want as much data as possible. You want to get as much information as possible before you can make an informed decision and formed a hypothesis. But Boris Johnson doesn't seem to do that. Um, he just orders a swift review. And what are the odds the people on that review board will be... Um, with a very similar opinion to Boris Johnson, because we often don't get told he's on these review boards, do we? No. Well, I mean, the point is that this has been in the pipeline, whatever the JCBI said, because we know that because of the advertising for vaccine administrators for schools that we got sight of about four to six weeks ago. So they've been actively recruiting people to carry in schools um you know for the last sort of six weeks so they quite clearly had this plan all along regardless of what the jcbi said so what science are they following if they've gone ahead and made the plans for this six like you say six weeks before the jcvi gave their results gave their actual science what science do you think they're following or what do you think their agenda is for doing this well i think their argument is isn't it that um you know that covid has been very disruptive for schools that they've had to send whole bubbles home um which is something that is not has not been necessary in sweden you know if a child is ill the child stays at home just in any society that's the way it's always been but what our government has been doing with covid is um sending whole classrooms and whole year groups home if somebody tests positive for covid regardless of whether or not they've got that um uh, symptoms while simultaneously so, if they do have covid with old people they often get sent to the old care homes almost as if they wanted it to spread we've got uh, articles on the show where uh bereaved relatives are suing the government for putting a known COVID patient in a care home. Well, quite. I mean, and that was just, you know, that was indefensible, wasn't it? It was just appalling. I mean, the way that old people have been treated throughout this is absolutely despicable. And the 
loneliness that they've had to deal with, the isolation, the not seeing family members for months on end when you're coming to the end of your life. And then when you are at the end of your life, a family member not being allowed to be with you. Terrible. Speaking of loneliness and isolation, what it's what's it been like for you as a mainstream media journalist to write about vaccine damage? Have you found your colleagues on the whole very supportive or have you found any pressure from you know, for, for whatever reasons? People don't like what you're saying or um, they think that it could cause problems with advertising revenues from pharmaceuticals and the banks that own shares in pharmaceuticals. What's it been like for you? Uh, to write about vaccine damage in the mainstream media. I understand the last time you uh, appeared on the front page was the mail on Sunday and you had a front page there. What was the article for that one? And those are my two questions. What was the article that you wrote that got the front page on the mail on Sunday? And what it, has it been like for you to tell the truth about vaccines or at least the cutting edge of science that the television isn't really getting through to people? What's it been like for you to write about that? Well, so... Firstly, mainstream media are not really publishing any alternative narrative on uh, COVID vaccines, as you know. And so, although I've had a couple of commissions, one from the Mail, one from the Mirror, about various things. One was the death from uh, the ITT um, of a lady who died sort of just as they announced that they were suspending vaccination, uh, the AstraZeneca vaccination in various countries. Uh, that didn't appear in the end in the mail. And I think the genuine reason behind it was that it was just a little bit after the event. So if I'd have been able to file it probably a week earlier, I suspect it would have been quite big news. But because there was a delay until after the lady's funeral, um, yeah, it didn't get published. But the piece that I did for the... It was a comment piece on the Mail on Sunday. It was in 2010. This is how long it's been. And a family called the Fletcher family, Jackie Fletcher, who runs a vaccine damage information website called Jabs, her son Robert was damaged by the MMR as a baby. And it took them 18 years to get compensation for him so when you say dam he was rob was, was damaged sorry if i've got his name wrong uh, from the mmr that yeah. is that isn't your opinion or speculation the the vaccine damage fund actually paid out on that so they said yeah, yes it they, was the vaccine here's your compensation so it's not alleged no it's not alleged they paid out ninety thousand pounds um and it was the first payment for MMR damage since the concerns were raised and that was back in 1998 when Andrew Wakefield did his study and then I did another big piece I did an interview with Andrew Wakefield which was a double page spread in the Mail on Sunday just before his um, sentencing I think before the conclusion of his um, trial at the um, General Medical Council and that was after he was struck off, it became almost impossible to get any vaccine damage stories in the newspapers. Although they have been very good at covering swine flu, which caused narcolepsy, and also the HPV vaccine, which tends to cause paralysis and seizures. 
so they have they have covered it, but really not very much on COVID vaccination. When we say tends to cover, um, what do we reckon the percentage that experience these side effects are? Do you have any idea of the data on that? It's really, really hard to know because the, um, the MHRA's reporting system is voluntary. So we've got over 1,600 deaths reported for COVID vaccinations. And the MHR will say, because it's a voluntary reporting system, they only expect to get about 10% of the true figure. So for 1,630, I think it is now, uh, yeah, 1,630, read 16,300 deaths. Yeah, well, we can speculate at, at that. Yeah, I always like can. to, yeah, I always like to stick to what I can absolutely prove uh, on this uh, podcast. Simply because I think that there's a lot of truth out there that um, the four. Well, you know, when I said my initial breakdown of like twenty, forty, and forty, uh, that forty percent that we can get through to a forty percent, but they they're in this state where they believe the television is telling the truth to them despite the fact that they know it's run by advertising and despite the fact that they know that a lot of advertising is run by the big corporations and the big corporations are invested in by banks who have vested interests in these pharmaceutical companies and a variety of their products but i do believe we can what can be done can also be undone so that's why on this show i always give out mainstream media only because if that's what you know if that's what they've been listening to their whole life they're not going to be interested in that much more in alternative media and that's why i wanted to bring you on to sort of say have you encountered any resistance or much resistance to getting this truth out there in the mainstream media yeah and so i i stopped trying back in April, I think, May time. And I've been writing all the pieces that I would have pitched basically to mainstream media for the conservative woman. And they've been really good at publishing them. And one I wanted to discuss with you actually was one I wrote about the history of vaccine damage because people think that the smallpox vaccine was a miracle it got rid of smallpox actually it probably prolonged smallpox by 200 years longer than we needed it to because you know diseases will just die out we you know we create we create an immune response to them um can i just ask when was the smallpox vaccine created so edward jenner introduced what he called his smallpox vaccination at the end of the 1700s, so 1762, and it was a cowpox version. But right from the get-go, there was controversy with it. So there was a doctor called Dr. Richard, Thomas Richard Allenson, and if you've ever seen Allenson's flower, it's spelt with two L's. That is a flower brand that was set up by this particular doctor. And in 1883, he was part of a consortium of doctors who wrote regularly in a a magazine called the Vaccination Inquirer, which criticised smallpox vaccine. 
and I can read you something he said about it. Um, he said, Jenner introduced vaccination nearly 100 years ago. He said, or others said for him, that people who contracted cowpox could never contract smallpox, in spite of innumerable proofs that smallpox does follow cowpox. And then he went on to say, if a person be vaccinated and does not take smallpox, it is held that he has been saved from smallpox, smallpox by his vaccination. But if he does take smallpox, then it is said that there must have been something wrong with the virus or some defect in its administration. In short, whatever is wrong, vaccination must be right. It sounds like he would have had a perfect job in Boris Johnson's cabinet. Well, you know, he, well, he was speaking out against vaccination. And oh, he was, yeah, I'm he talking was, about the bloke writing the it. <laughs> he was saying that these are the arguments that you use to say that vaccination is great, but they're, you know, they, you're just twisting the facts to suit your narrative. And he went on to say um, that during the epidemic of 1871, he visited hospitals and nine-tenths of the smallpox cases he saw had already been vaccinated. And he said the worst case he ever saw occurred three weeks after vaccination. And here we and are 150 years later experiencing the same thing by the sounds of it. Absolutely, exactly. So we've got, you know, people like Piers Morgan and Robert Peston, who are double-jabbed and who have contracted COVID and who are very happy to tell us that if they hadn't have had the vaccination, their symptoms would have been so much worse. But how do you know? Because... Pfizer and AstraZeneca have all vaccinated their control group. There is no control group. So there's absolutely no way of telling. Well, um, I've had on my show before someone that set up something called the Vaccine Control Group. I believe uh, the aforementioned Mike Eden is a member of it. Have you heard about the Vaccine Control Group? I we wondered if it was genuine. So you think it's genuine, is it? I know the person that helped set it up. Um, and it's all a... a it's all new. I know the per I know and trust the person that set it up. But like anything, uh, anything can be taken over, co-opted, manipulated, anything like that. And with anything new, you uh, you haven't. You, I put it out on my show because I thought it was something to show positive to listeners that somebody's doing something. Um, yeah. But I, I tend to not join things myself because I'm more of a, a lone wolf. But as far as I know, um, I've had the the creator on this podcast and they seem to do a good job from what i can see but like anything else uh, you know the vaccine control group they're going to for, for me i'm going to reserve judgment on the vaccine control group just as the government should have reserved judgment on vaccines basically i'm going to sit wait and look at the data and see what happens but for me it seems like a good idea but who knows it's new uh, they're new people i've met we shall see what happens. But yeah, for, for right now, I've no reason to doubt them. But, you know, you know, it's always healthy to be cynical, isn't it? Well, interestingly, Alanson, the doctor I was just talking about, was struck off. <laughs> like any doctor who's ever spoken out against vaccination has, has been pursued or struck off. And um, he said, if you want the truth on vaccination, you must go to those who are not making anything out of it. 
He said, if doctors shot at the moon every time it was full as a preventative of measles and got a shilling for it, they would bring statistics to prove it was the most efficient practice and that the population would be decimated if it was stopped. Indeed. Now, when you said you write for Conservative Woman now, I'm that's a American uh, pub, online publication, isn't no, it? No, it's British. Oh, is it really? So um, yeah. when you say you write for Conservative Women, are these women sort of fans of Boris Johnson then? Is that what they're saying? No. So the, it's called The Conservative Woman mm-hmm. because it was founded by a woman who is a conservative. Um, but they've been utterly appalled with the government's response to the COVID pandemic. And so they're highly critical of the government and they are also highly critical of the vaccination programme or allowing me to be, you know, to highlight what what's going wrong with whom and where. And so I did a big piece for them about the number of athletes suddenly collapsing with heart problems. And we know that 23-year-old football player from Waterford City died, um, I think it was four days after he had his vaccination. um, He had the Janssen vaccination. So do you think that the Conservative people in Britain are going to go through awakening like the old school lefties like myself did with Tony Blair, where you look at it and you think, this does not represent anything I believe in. And of course, it's just got worse with Keir Starmer. I'm sort of like a, I haven't been able to vote for anyone because no one really represents what I stand for. I'm like, a, I want a social safety net. I want an NHS, but I'm also a free market capitalist. So I'm kind of a, a blend of Dennis Skinner and Gordon Gecko. And there's no one that, with a bit of Tony Blen mixed in because... Um, I was a, a Brexit leaver, and a lot of people don't realise that Tony Benn was massively anti-EU uh, by the end of his career. Uh, so there's no one that really represents me. So I'm I'm speaking to, or I hear from a lot of people, uh, conservatives who have said they would never vote for Boris Johnson again because of you know, all, well, the lies. The, we have that video where um, it got viral, 10 million views, all his lies and everything like that. I've played that on this show. No, not played it. Oh, 35 million. Sorry, I covered the independent article when it was 10 million. I was bang on it right out the gates and then it's gone even more mega virals from there. So do you think that there's going to be a new wave of conservative voters that say, hang on, I'm a conservative, but you don't represent us. Your agenda doesn't seem to be conserving anything. It seems to be destroying us through lockdowns, our economy, destroying our health by you ignoring the JCVI. Um, uh, they don't seem to be conserving, they seem to be destroying. So do you think there, there's going to be a new wave of people waking up and going, hang on, this isn't the Conservative Party that I voted for? Well, I really hope so. I mean, I, you know, they've just been, um, well, as Toby Young put it, they went from the Stasi to the Keystone Cops. I mean, they just, the, the number of U-turns they've done, and now we've, what we've realised about their U-turns is that, oh, we, we didn't get this through in the way that we wanted to get it through, so we're going to drop it for a bit and we'll bring it in via the back door. 
Yes, they did uh, the vaccine passports. Uh, this is being recorded yeah. on the, the, the Monday that this goes out. But over the weekend, it broke that there'll be no vaccine passports. But I immediately remembered what happened. It was when they were talking about masks. Oh, there'll definitely be no more masks in. That's when I knew that they were going to you know, bring masks and make them mandatory back in 2020. The government does seem to do that. Um, they've got a lot of psychiatrists on the SAGE board. And um, it, it's Sun Tzu, isn't it? You know, the art of war. I just don't know how they expect us to trust them. I don't think they care that we whether we trust them or not. They no. are utterly power crazy. You, well, at the end of the day, hand- uh, what happens? Can I, I just say this while it's in my head? At the end of the day, Boris Johnson was asked a difficult question during the election. He hid in a fridge publicly. Everyone knew he hid in a fridge publicly, and he still got voted in with uh, was it the greatest majority since Thatcher? I mean, that it, the British public. If they're going to do that, this is what's going to happen. Oh, it's really scary, isn't it? Because what would I, you know, what were the British public thinking that why why did they vote him in? Because they like him because he's a laugh. Because um, you know, they think his hair's funny and they think it's funny that he doesn't know how many kids he's got. With a cult of personality. Oh, yeah, no copyright to that song, by the way. <laughs> Sorry for my crap karaoke version of it. But, yeah, that's what it is. Well, probably um, we're getting to the end of our time, but I, I just want to say to any parents who are listening that it's because of one mother called Rosemary Fox and 600 other families that we have the vaccine damage payment unit at all. So the law was changed in 1979 to recognise that people could be damaged by vaccines and that they should receive compensation, like a soldier would receive compensation if they were injured in service. Um, But she took her daughter, Helen, to the doctor as a baby in 1962. By the time she was 11, Helen had a mental age of three. She was diagnosed with a mental age of three. But they didn't actually physically get any compensation for Helen um, for 27 years. Wow. Um, So would the following statements be correct? Because I wanted to get a mainstream media person on and listen to it. Would the following statements be correct? Uh, And you can just say uh, yes or no to them. Um, Vaccine damage is very real. Yes. And compensation is paid out in a court where it's proven that the vaccine did actually do the damage. So the people are not nutjob conspiracy theorists. They're people vindicated by a judge. They're not nutjobs and they've been vindicated by a judge. And you as a mainstream media journalist have had difficulty getting certain stories about vaccines out, not because you can't prove it, but because of certain, um, well, yeah, for, for whatever reason, that the British public weren't getting the truth as you found it with your research. Is that a fair yeah, statement? and I, I think the reason for that is that, you know, the journalist's code is that we are not supposed to create a panic. And... I don't know where you draw the line on that as an editor, but clearly if all the newspapers were publishing stories saying that um, vaccines are causing far more damage than we thought they would, 
as somebody in the house on Friday said, I think it was um, Sean Bailey said, uh, wouldn't that rather put people off getting vaccinations? <laughs> but, you know, wh why are we mandating or endorsing something that's capable of doing so much harm? I mean, it's not just a little bit of harm. We, you know, people are disabled for life. You know, their lives are over. Those 60 um, people who, were, who suffered narcolepsy, so there was 54 children and six healthcare workers, they cannot live a normal life. Um, women who suffered, or women and teenage girls who suffered from the HPV vaccine, many of them have committed suicide because they just no longer want to live with the symptoms they've been left with. And it also affects all the families of the people involved as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the guilt as a parent that you would feel having taken your child for that vaccine, trusting the state, trusting the doctor, then your child is damaged. And then the state turn rounds and turns around and gaslights you and tells you, oh, it was just a coincidence. I mean, it's... The whole thing is evil and destructive. I would love to get you back on the show sometime to talk about how this potentially viral, violates Nuremberg codes as well, the coercion oh, and the mandating. Absolutely, on every level. Yeah, that's a whole another half an hour conversation. So, um, yeah. Sally, I'd love to get you back on the show sometime if uh, if you'd be up for it. Yes, I definitely would, um, especially as two of my relatives were at Nuremberg as interrogators and interpreters. I was about to ask what side though they were on. <laughs> <laughs> the good side. <laughs> Great. Well, I never I knew that. I would have it up. That, that, I never knew that. That would be absolutely fascinating because I'd love to get, like, um, your account of their historical perspective. I've never spoken to anyone that's been there or knows anyone that has been there, so that would be fascinating. So, um, just for well, the closing... I have a document written by one of them, um, which I, I, ha I confess that I have not read. I've been stealing myself. Oh. Obviously, neither of them are alive, but I will do some research. We'll photocopy it, change the name, and we can stick Boris Johnson's name on there in a couple of years, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do, do, do a 1947 version of a copy and paste job. Or was it 46, the Nuremberg trials? Oh, gosh. I didn't pass history at school. <laughs> oh, is it? yeah. Well, it'd be after 45, we can be sure of that. Um, so but just with the last um, couple of minutes, I just want um, for you to plug anything that you have social media wise or where people can find your articles now Sally well um, so you can find my articles at the conservativewoman.co.uk and if I've got one going in tomorrow which is the latest MHRA figures and I'm also delighted that Sir Christopher Chope has finally brought this up in the house so I discuss that in the article tomorrow and if you click on my byline uh, if you read the article all my other pieces for the conservative woman will come up I think 22 to date and I've covered everything from um, British Airways pilots dying um, to uh, Devi Sridhar lying to children on BBC television telling them that the vaccine is 100% safe and all sorts of 
aspects due to this but every other week uh, having I, I, a, an ingrown toenail removed is a medical procedure that uh, isn't 100 percent safe well vaccines have never been 100 percent safe and she knows that I and mean, it was just a downright lie the first one i did for um them was about how the bbc was pushing the vaccine on pregnant women that was back in february and i um, we only had pfizer vaccine then and i immediately got in touch with pfizer and i said oh can you tell me about your reproduction toxicology tests and can you tell me about the, your trials in pregnant women i bet they hadn't done any they hadn't. They I, hadn't. The reason they, I know that was because I read out an article on this show saying, um, was it the Moderna now thinks that they're going to begin to see if it's OK to use on pregnant women. But it had already been given the authorization to be used on them. So, yeah, it doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Well, exactly. And uh, the reprotox um, study that they did, I can't remember if they said it was 12 or 24 rats that they'd conducted them in. But, you know, frankly, it was 12 or 24 rats. I mean, that was the how seriously they took the reproductive toxicology studies. Madness. I'd love to get you back on the show to talk about Nuremberg and maybe like the top three articles that you've ever written. Like go back throughout what you've uh, written and like your, your top three greatest hits, because uh, I've looked back at your work. That's why I wanted to get you on the show. I, I really appreciate all the. Uh, the, the work you've done that. over the last 20 years yeah Sally Beck's greatest hits and Nuremberg yeah that's what I'd like to get you back on about okay yeah I'd like to do that because it's not just about um vaccines my work so yeah I I won't I won't do a spoiler now but um I've covered some quite big topics excellent well uh, we'd love you to cover them uh, here on beyond the news so um it, it's conservativewoman.co.uk is that the website it, yeah, or the conservative woman. The conservativewoman.co.uk. Uh, yeah. Check out Sally Beck's work. Um, Sally Beck, thank you very much for joining us here on Beyond the News today and look forward to speaking to you in the future. Thanks, Jim. It's been a pleasure.